0: I've been a mild homo for many a year And I've been called things like poor faggot and queer It's not nice <laughs> But there is a word I really detest Especially when people use it in jest And it's no
1: name never I No name never no more Do I want to hear gay? In a negative way. That was Nick Chung, a.k.a. Long Hu, comedian in heels. He's my guest today. He's going to come up in just a few minutes. My name is Haig Balian. You are listening to The Beijing Sessions. The Beijing Sessions, which has not been aired or published or whatever you do with podcasts for a couple of weeks. Sorry about that. Like I had a very late minute late second last second, a last second cancellation uh, and I just couldn't get my act together to um, to get an episode up and this last week just got very busy uh, just doing a project a video project uh, which is really cool. I'm also going to launch a new podcast very very soon and I'm kind of excited about it I'm, I'm actually not kind of I'm, I'm very excited about it. That is set to launch on the 25th of October, I believe. I think that's the Monday. Um, I'll have more information about that later on. But this week, this week, it is Nick Chung. Uh, I've wanted to talk to Nick for a long time. And, you know, ostensibly the reason that he is on this this episode is to talk about his new tour or his his upcoming mini tour. Um, He's going to be in Chongqing and he's going to be in Chengdu. If you are in those cities in the next week, I will have information about that on my website, thebeijingsessions.com, or on Twitter, at Haik or on Facebook. Nick was great. Well, so first of all, if you have kids, or if you're listening with kids, uh, I would suggest the earmuffs, especially in the first part of the interview. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I love about this medium and about podcasting is you can really get deep into somebody's story. And we got really, really deep with, with Nick. And you know, I, I feel so grateful to Nick to for, for opening up uh, to me. I think a lot of people will be able to relate with his with his experiences, with his journey. I know I did. You know, his path to comedy and, and just using comedy as a way to to build up uh, self-esteem and confidence, I thought was, was really, really interesting. Okay, here is Nick Chung, a.k.a. Long Hu, comedian in heels. I like to start with banter. Banter, right. But I'm not good at banter.
0: No, banter requires a certain skill set that I'm not even sure as a comedian I have. I do crowd work, but I don't really do banter. know, mm. Do you, do you, is there a lot of crowd work in Beijing? Um there is, but it's worrying sometimes. I've learned very quickly um a fellow comedian once taught me um only ask questions you want the answers to. Mm. So if you're going to say something like hello where are you from, you need to have a joke for almost every country in the world. That's near on impossible. So, when I do crowd work, I, I ask very specific questions like, Have you ever sucked a cock to look cool? Um, because that's the answer I want. I want to know. That's the question. So, I only ask questions I want the answers to.
1: Um, I, 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 listen, I wanted to get into sort of, okay, this is good because I want, okay, I wanted to sort of ease into some things. So, first of all, I'm with Nick Chen. Hello. Or Long Hu. Yes. How do you? Pre- what do you prefer?
0: So on the stage, I perform a character called Long Hu, the comedian in heels, and off stage, I am just normal
1: Nick Chung. Okay. So describe Long Hu. What? Is, who is Long Hu?
0: So Long um, Hu, has been a journey, really. Long Hu is the asshole I wished I could be when I was younger. Um, I I had a lot of like self esteem issues growing up. And uh, Long Hu is the character that I'm, I'm turning into and that I wished I always was. So it started ooh, about three years into performing comedy. I've been doing it six years now. Um, we did a Halloween show and I was thinking, what would be a terrifying outfit? I thought, well, a six-foot-two bloke in heels, especially a slightly overweight six-foot-two bloke in heels. And the front row doesn't know if I'm going to seduce them or fall on top of them. So we did the show, and it was kind of fun, and, and I, I the shoes got a great reception, so that stuck into the act. But I was Nick Barber, because I hadn't got married then, um, Nick Barber um, wearing some heels. And one day I had a really bad day at work um, just I. I so I, I work in early years education during the day and obviously I do stand up comedy at night and sometimes you just have days where you feel like you're trying to teach a brick wall
1: Do you also ask your children very specific questions or are you <laughs>
0: mm, Yes but slightly more children friendly questions Um. <laughs> Maybe I should be more specific. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, so anyway, I, I had this particularly rubbish day at work, and uh, I, I went to an open mic and just let it out. Mm. And the, the audience seemed to respond really well to this gay, angry, homosexual man in heels. And um, that sort of became the character and long hu was born from that because long hu was my chinese name uh
1: so yeah china can be a little conservative especially when it comes to sexuality and especially homosexuality like how like do you do you feel i mean do you feel a responsibility to advance the conversation i have a belief that the more you see something
0: the more you accept it i agree Now, if the narrative is that the um, homosexuality is weird and strange and um, fits this uh, stereotype, then that's what people will accept and that's what people will believe. Now, this is the reason why Long Hu is almost hyper-masculine on stage. He... He gets on stage and everyone is expecting... Well, first of all, everyone expects it to be a woman... When they say, here, long who, comedian in heels. And then a man turns up and they go... Oh, it's a gay man in heels. He's going to get to the microphone and he's going to be oh, Hi, how are you? Oh, it's so wonderful. Oh, I was sucking dick the other day. Amazing. (laughs) And what I do is I get to stage and I open with... Ni bitches, how the fuck are we tonight? and it completely throws them because they're like oh we thought you were going to be this and you're not yeah then we thought you were going to be this so they actually are ready to listen because they're like oh we had these preconceptions you you've taken them off us we don't know what you're going to say so we're going to listen and and that's something that i think i like about long hu is he's doing things very differently yeah and um, you, growing up, a lot of my homosexual role models were all fitting that type of camp man, very effeminate, very lovey, um, because that seemed to be what people are expecting. Like who? So if you look at people like Graham Norton, yeah, chat show host, very camp, very yeah. very funny. I mean, he's a generally funny
1: guy. God, I love Graham Norton.
0: Alan Carr, again. Uh-huh. Very camp. Yeah. Um. You look at some of the modern comedians from Australia. There's a guy called Joel Christie. Mm-hmm. Again, quite a camp guy. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to show that there was another side yeah. of homosexuality, and it's not all um, like the guy from Are You Being Served, Mr. Humphreys. Are you free, Mister Humphreys? I'm free. No, we're not all like that. We're a diverse community, and there's there's lots of different people that make up the LGBT community. Yeah. So this is the thing that I'm I'm hoping that Long Hu does, and also being openly gay on on the stage because there's no way hiding it when you're wearing eight-inch heels. Um, being openly gay and talking about things and talking about relationships and sexual relationships and talking about being married, being in a gay marriage. Yeah. Um, we sort of allow people to discuss that. It op- Like you said, it opens the discussion.
1: What has been one of the most surprising sort of interactions you've had after a gig.
0: Sadly, I haven't had that many after gig interactions. I don't know, maybe they they think that because Long Hu is so aggressive on stage that huh. they can't Interesting. come and speak to me afterwards. Because yeah. obviously Nick Chung is lovely. Yeah. Nick Chung's quite quite nice and Nick Chung lovely. Reserved. Yeah. But um they 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 obviously think that I'm Long Hu all the time. I have had some people come up to me. Um, I actually had a woman come up to me um, a couple of weeks ago, and she said that she'd been watching my comedy for a while, and it had a a big effect on her because she just moved to Beijing and she was feeling quite lonely and quite down, and seeing this like big angry gay man speaking his truth, mm-hmm. and just being really like. This is this is me. This is what's happening. Made her feel feel better about herself, and that was really nice. It was a really lovely chat to have, and to know that I've um, helped somebody. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the things that I like about doing comedy in China. Yeah, you're never going to make the big time unless you can be family friendly and speak fluent Chinese. I have tried speaking Chinese. It is the hardest language I have ever tried to learn.
1: Uh yeah, you're speaking to the converted here. Yeah. <laughs> I I I I just I've I'm I'm at a I'm at a low point right now with my Chinese journey. It's just really difficult.
0: I even married a Chinese person thinking, "Right, I'm going to learn a lot now." <laughs> I've learned a lot about the culture. Mm-hmm. So I I'm, I'm happy that I've learned about culture and and some of the ways it, it sort of is good because I can then use that and tell jokes about the Chinese culture. Um, in English, like um, we we had that Mooncake Festival recently, and the the, the story behind the Mooncake and Chang'e floating up to the moon, and you you're reading this like what? <laughs> and, and as an early years educator, I also have to teach five year old children this story, and it's like so. Ho Yi came home late one day, um, Chang er got upset, so she drank both of the potions to kill herself. <laughs> how am I going to teach this to a five-year-old kid? Pretty macabre. Mm, but it works great when you're doing that as a comedy set. Another joke I, I do quite often for the Chinese uh, crowd is names. I talk about how my name um, and how unfortunately my name is. Because, as I said, I got married yeah, and we made the decision that it would be good to take my partner's name. So I am now Nick Chung because we thought Gong Barber would sound a bit stupid. So, okay, that works. So I'm now Nick Chung. I kept my original Chinese name, which is my Chinese date of birth, because I was born in the year of the fire tiger and the month of the dragon. Um, So my Chinese name is now Cheng Long Hu. There's a slight problem with that. There is a very famous Cheng Long, Jackie Chan. Oh. So now whenever I see my name translated, it doesn't come through as Cheng Long. It comes through as Jackie Chan's tiger wants to do this.
1: (laughs) Jackie Chan's tiger is learning to drive. So
0: I, I have to get to a stage where I can one day meet the, the original Chong Long. Yeah, absolutely. Like, because yes. of you, WeChat hates me.
1: That is really, really funny. No, there is one question I've, I've wanted to ask you for a while. Okay, so as I mentioned before, I've seen you perform a couple of times. And randomly, I've seen you before your set. Now, there are some people, there are some comics who sort of, you know, they're sitting down, they're drinking, and, and then it's time for them to perform, and they go up and they perform, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But I've seen you before a set, and I've never seen anybody so focused. And so, sort of like, you're, you're just sort of sitting, and you're, it looks like you're, you're going through your set, and, you know, I wouldn't even think about approaching you at that time. What, what is going through your mind? Before, before, before you go on stage? Honest answer, hotel music. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> just, just the, my sets are quite modular. And I find it works quite well because in Chinese stand-up comedy, you really don't know your audience until you hold that mic. Like If you do comedy in New York, you're going to expect a New York crowd with New York life experiences and that sort of thing. They're that culture. You're part of that culture. So you can sort of pre-plan it. In Chinese comedy, you don't know if your audience is going to be mainly British, mainly American, mainly Chinese. Mm -hmm. So I have my starting bit and then I go from there. So maybe when I'm sitting down, I am sort of listening to other comedians telling their jokes and trying to see, oh, that got a laugh, that didn't. I don't think I'm doing it consciously now. Hmm. I'm just sort of sitting there going... (laughs) Um, Just just merrily singing a tune in my head because it's either that or Tumbleweed. Um, And then when I get on stage... I know that I want to get to a particular song because I always end my sets with songs. Yeah. Um, so I want to get to a particular song and I will probably take this journey. But until I start performing, I don't know which way it's going to go. Uh-huh. Because having it in like blocks, I can throw that out and go, oh, <laughs> they didn't like that. Let's go this way. Let's pivot. And then go a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that gives me the freedom to sort of change it up. I don't Don't get constrained by a script yeah um that's how i particularly like doing it unfortunately for me that means i am terrible with time i i have now told people at events like if if i'm performing like me three minutes before you want me to stop (laughs) so i can quickly pivot to what i need to do to set up for the song and get off
1: so I, i know that one of the things that you're really passionate about is using comedy As a way to help develop confidence. Yeah. Um, How did comedy help you develop confidence?
0: I had quite low self-esteem growing up. Um, I got bullied at school um, (laughs) because everyone called me gay. And I thought, no, I'm not. I'm I'm not gay. I'm not gay because that's
1: not the norm. And it wasn't until I was 19. Can I I just take one step back? And I want to hear this. But where did you grow up? I grew up in Norfolk in the UK. Okay. Um, which is
0: not a very diverse area of the world. Um, but we we did have an LGBT community within our town. Um, it was a very strange place. It was um, a little town called Wells Next to Sea. And it's very beautiful and very picturesque. And the population tend to be made up of... People who came to die and then decided, actually, no. So they just kept living. Huh. Then you had people who came and were either already divorced or they came and got divorced. And LGBT people. Huh. Uh, in a town of 1,000 people, like the native, uh, the native population, there were 30 gay couples that my parents knew of and stuff like that. There was a very high percentage of of LGBT people. I actually joined the amateur dramatics in that town and we did a performance of The Wizard of Oz and there were three munchkins and I was probably about 14, 15. So at the time, I was the only straight munchkin but then it turned out... Nope, all three of them... (laughs) All three of them were gay... And, uh, yeah, that was just the typecasting we had. But, yeah, going to school, there there was no diversity, really, in our year group. There was very little sort of, like, ethnic diversity. And, of course, there wasn't any real sort of LGBT culture. Um, I mean, this was back 90s, early 2000s. Um, I mean, they hadn't even worked out dyslexia yet. As I have uh, something called numerical dyslexia, and uh, everyone said, "Oh no, you can't be dyslexic; you're you're too intelligent." You know, oh, you idiots! It was a simple town with simple minds, and of course, everyone accused me of being gay, and I kept thinking, "Well, I'm not gay. No, I'm not gay. I don't want to be gay. That gay is different. I just want to fit in." Um, I also had problems with my father. Um, he was never really good at sort of building me up. Uh, He was good at knocking me down. Um, He'd be very much a person that was like, everything was on a need-to-know basis and I never needed to know. My opinion was never valid or appreciated or wanted. Um, So I never... Learned to become assertive. I never learned that that sort of ability to argue a point. Because if ever I argued a point. They would just go in with the. Do as I say. And, and yeah. That just ended up sticking with me as I grew older. And as I grew up. When I was 13. I joined the Army Cadets. Which is sort of a, a youth group. Where children basically pretend to be in the military um and i learned quite quickly that i really enjoyed teaching marching um i would issue orders to children the same age as me and they would listen and they would do what what i was telling them to do um and that was the first time i had that oh wow that that feels kind of good um After that, I joined the real military, I joined the Navy, and went through some tough times there. I worked on a submarine, and I sort of ended up... Well, I ended up leaving the Navy because I had a nervous breakdown. Um, It was the dyslexia that actually caused the problem. Um, I was working on a submarine as a data analyst, now basically... What that is, is the people in the sonar room to say, we can hear this, or we can hear this, and it's that way. And then a couple of minutes later, they'd say, oh, it's now over here. It's it's facing this direction. And I would have to use algebra and trigonometry in my head to work out what's going on so that I can tell the captain, like, we think there's this thing over here. The problem is, is my brain can't hold information like that. I don't have pattern pattern recognition. Um, so every time I had to do a multiplication, I couldn't say like eight eights are da-da-da. I would have to work it out every time. Now, when you've got a ship coming at you, yes. you don't have time to do that. You have to be able to straight away remember your eight times table. You also had to do things like cosines and tangents. I had no idea. All I knew about a cosine is it's a a curvy line on a graph. But I don't know why the curve is that shape, why it's on a graph, what it means. I didn't know.
1: All I know about cosine is that it's a button on a calculator. Yeah, I had (laughs) to do that as a job.
0: And my my fellow crew, they learned it. And they were like, oh, right, okay, so we do this. And and there'd be rules and something and, and... and I just couldn't hold that information in my head. Now, the military gave me three options. They told me, right, okay, something's not right here. They gave me the test, they found out I was dyslexic. And they, okay, you've got three choices. You can leave the military, no shame, no problem. I grew up in a tourist town. The military was the only way I could afford to, to sort of earn a living. You could change into another branch um Or you can stay where you are. Now, I had a look at the branches, and another branch that I looked at was the photography branch, like taking photos mm. and looking at photos and analyzing. Oh, that looked really interesting. And I mean, I'm always a fan of Where's Wally? So I thought that would be a really cool job. And they said, Ah, well, if you want to do that job, you have to be promoted first. You can't just go in as a, a normal rating. So I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so can I change, get promoted, and then change? No, no, no. Uh, being young, I thought, well, oh, I'm, I'm young. I'll, I'll stick with this then, get promoted, and then I'll change. Um, and I ended up in a 12-month period, spending nine of them underwater, trying to learn and master a job that my brain just could not oh, man. cope with. Because with dyslexia, it's not that you can't do something, because you can. Everybody can do anything they want, but they have to work out how to do it for them. But lots of schools, they will teach you the Vox Populi method that works for most people. There is normally another way that you can do it that will work for you, and you just have to find it. Unfortunately when you're learning through a coping mechanism it takes a bit longer and in that situation in that high pressure situation there wasn't the time um and yeah i i became depressed um i became uh quite dependent on alcohol at the time and i um ended up waking up on the 16th of December 2006, it was a Saturday and I burst into tears for two hours solidly and I just couldn't stop crying. I'd, I'd lost all control of any any emotional control. I'd just gone. Um, and that was it. That ended my naval career, um, which again meant my self-esteem took a massive pounding.
1: Was Was therapy at all... Part of, like your, did you, did you was that was that a consideration at all? So because it it sounded like you really needed that.
0: I did go to see the military uh, psychiatrist, um, and they very quickly sort of determined you have situational depression. The situation is you are working on a submarine, yeah. and it's not good for you, yeah. The problem is because of bureaucracy, they couldn't dismiss me due to medical grounds. Because if they dismissed me due to medical grounds, that meant I still had a problem and they would have to continue caring. I hadn't been in the Navy long enough to um, accrue any... After naval care. Like, if you've been in for a certain time, you can do a course and retrain to enter into civilian sure. life. Yeah. Um, like a mechanic or learn how to do something useful. I hadn't been in long enough. So I received an honourable discharge, and that was it. Um, so I had no aftercare. And was just floating, not knowing what to do. And... Just being completely lost in my life. I'm going to be 22 I think at this time. And I just had no idea. Um, because the Navy was going to be my life. That was going to be what I was going to do for 22 years. So made some poor choices. Um, got engaged because that's what you do when you have a nervous breakdown. You get engaged to the first person that shows any interest. It didn't go well and it didn't last long way too young and we were engaged for about a year and i moved down south uh, back to where i came from and he moved with me because we had nowhere to live and my father kindly put us up in a touring caravan in the back garden he lived in a four bedroom house oh no but apart from his bedroom everything else was filled with his hobbies and his junk so there was no room in the inn in a four-bedroom council house. So I had to sleep in a touring caravan, which is not big and definitely not warm in the winters of Britain um, for nine months. Not plumbed in. So every, every week having to empty the remnants of me and my fiancé's bathroom. That, but yeah, great. So I suppose it didn't surprise me that the the engagement ended um
1: that that would that. be stressful
0: and that would test it yeah.
1: yeah um so sorry, can I ask what i mean and, and, I, and i'm just I'm just curious now and i don't want to forget later on, what where's your where's your dad now he's still alive? let's hope he doesn't hear this okay <laughs>
0: okay actually no I suppose I think that uh, I am almost ready to have a conversation with him, but it's taken thirty five years. To get to that stage. Um, I mean. Oh, I. Sorry to back backtrack from this story. Because it's getting a bit. Um, when I was young. In Britain we had a TV show called. The Thunderbirds. I loved the Thunderbirds. And I knew that my dad. Was into building models. And even at the age. That I was probably about seven. Uh, I knew that I should have some sort of relationship with my dad. So I pretended to enjoy fishing. I hate fishing. I haven't got the patience for it. And I asked and asked and asked for an Airfix model of Lady Penelope's Rolls-Royce limousine. Okay, it was bright pink, but (laughs) that's what it was on the show. So I I wanted that Rolls-Royce limousine so that me and my dad could build it together. And every time I asked him, like, can we build the, can we build the model? Can we build the model? No, no, too busy. No, I'm too busy. No, I'm too busy. I think that one or two years later, I found the model. I found the box. And I opened it up and I thought, well, I'm older now. I'm going to do it myself. And it turned out that he'd already built it. This desperate Christmas present so that I could have quality time with my dad, and he'd just gone and built it by himself. That's the relationship that I had with that man. And yeah, it, it, it took an effect, I didn't it and it really' it smashed my self-esteem. So skipping back to me being 22, I have um, just left the Navy and I'm, I'm still like feeling worthless and useless and because I, I it's one of the things I hate feeling I hate feeling useless um, so I worked as a support worker for people with autism and I worked in a care home for elderly people with autism and it was a tough job um, obviously they can't communicate what they need so they will get emotionally upset and they have no way to to sort of tell you what they want and what they need. So they become enraged is probably not the best word for it. And as I was the largest care worker there, I would be used as the human shield uh, whilst they got the other tenants mm-hmm. out of the way. Um, and that was very difficult and very, very hard. So I did that for about a year. And then I I left that job. And I was supposed to go and work with a friend in London. And then that job fell through. So I was like, I've got friends in Glasgow from when I was in the Navy. Uh, So I call up and I move to Glasgow. And I sofa surf with my my very good friend up in Glasgow. And um, I tried to find any job. I tried to work in an office. As I said, the Navy hadn't given me any after training. My skills were working as a data analyst in a submarine. There's not a lot of call for that in the world of banking and telesales and and that sort of stuff. So I really struggled trying to get a job. In the end, the only work I could find was work in security. So I started working in security in Glasgow doing football matches like just being the blokes in the middle just in case and just going oh calm down please and this way if you're parking Um, and then I got my license to work security because it was all licensed or still is Um, and then I managed to work in bars and pubs and clubs (laughs) which again for a man that doesn't have any self-esteem is terrifying Something else that I did at the time when I was living in Glasgow was I discovered a love of karaoke. So in China, obviously, we have KTV,
1: where you put yourself in a room with your friends and you sing songs. And nobody else can listen to you except for your friends. And it is... a private room. Terrible. Oh. I hate it. Okay. Because if you fuck up a song, (laughs) they're going
0: to be there, and you have to know them in the morning. So if you do a bad job or if you murder a song, you then have to face them in the morning. Karaoke, you are in a bar full of complete strangers. Don't know who any of them are, and you will never see them again. And that, for me, was perfect. Because I would get on, I would sing the songs, um... And I would sing the songs I want. (laughs) Of course, being a gay man, I would sing I Will Survive. But I (laughs) I would sing it to fit my voice. Sure. I wouldn't try to sing it as Gloria Gaynor. I would sing it with my voice, which is a lot deeper. Back then, it was quite hard finding songs that had that. That deepness that I would sing to, without going into a very strange Caucasian Barry White. So uh, <laughs> I tried to stay clear of those. So I would I would pick songs that I could sing, and people used to come up to me afterwards and say like, "Well, wow, you that was really good, that was very good." And every time I had one of those compliments, I would both think they were lying, but also gain a nugget of self esteem. Right. Every time they said, oh, wow, you sung that. I was like, oh, yeah, cheers, cheers. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. But I'd also feel a little bit better about myself. But with the anonymity of karaoke, if I ever fucked up a song, I could just leave. Huh. Just get out, get out the bar, never see any of them again. Th- that didn't happen. Run away. Yeah. And that's that's how I learned and I started doing karaoke more and more and obviously the more I sang the more times people told me I did a good job um I I gained that little bit of confidence but I still didn't get to the stage where I could like be assertive with my own dad and and face him and, and say like no you're wrong I wanted to do comedy back in the UK but comedy in the UK has this culture of the audience wanting to participate We have uh, Christmas shows called Pantomimes. And they're set up so that the audience will shout things at the actors on stage as part of the play. Problem is, is people then take that to stand-up comedy. So a comedian's doing his scripted set, and then someone shouts something out. And if you are not on it, and if you're not ready for that, it can throw you. And as i still had that doubt of my self esteem i thought if anyone heckles me i'm 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 going to stop i don't have the wit to deal with that i moved to china obviously regretting like that i'd never never done that and i never got into stand up comedy and then i saw the comedy scene in beijing and i saw that there wasn't that shout out atmosphere. It wasn't about that. It was people watching and enjoying jokes. Kind of like the American comedy yeah. scene. It tends to be more people watch and listen. And I I thought oh, I've always wanted to do this. So I went to um, a bar called The Hot Cat. Uh, this was way back. It was back in like 2015, 2014, 2015. And I... Went there to watch the open mic and I drank a couple too many ciders and I spoke to the host because it was an open mic. Anyone can sign up. And I honestly thought that I would ask for a spot. He would say, oh, no, sorry, we're full tonight. And I'd be like, I tried. I've done it. I've, I've, I've tried, but they couldn't get me on. So it's OK. And he turned around and went, yeah, sure. We'll put you on in about 20 minutes. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing prepared. I didn't. I didn't prepare anything. I just went. Ah, have you got any spots? And they were like, Yeah, sure, we'll put you on. And I had twenty minutes to think of what to say. Twenty minutes of combing back through my life, like, oh, depression. No, that's not going to laugh. <laughs> um, being yeah. bullied. No, Maybe. that's uh, probably not going to be good. Yeah. Having a having an a, an emotionally abusive father. No, no. Ah, no. Oh, there's the story. And I went on stage and I told a story and the audience loved it and they laughed and they found it so funny and they were giggling. And the, the feeling of of bringing joy to those people that evening, that was such a powerful kick because, of course, you've got the adrenaline going of being on the stage. But it was such a powerful kick of of self-esteem. Like, I made these people laugh with my story. And it just was such an amazing feeling. In China, as I said, I'm never going to become famous. I'm not going to become a household name. But I still go every week because I get to make people laugh. And I get to make them feel happy and it's a great feeling. And every time people laugh, it helps with my self-esteem and it makes me feel more assertive. Like I said, Long Who was created about three years ago. He's the arsehole I wished I always was. And I think every time that I play him, little by little, I become the character. I finally am gaining the the confidence and the self-esteem to be this character that i'm portraying on stage and having these conversations like you and i obviously the audience can't see us are currently sitting what about a meter apart facing each other eye to eye if we'd have had this conversation in 2014 i wouldn't be able to look you in the eye that's how bad my self-esteem was back then before doing comedy i couldn't I couldn't have a conversation looking directly at you. I'd be looking at your hair or looking at your posters and looking anywhere and I'd be quickly glancing at you to make sure you're listening, but then look away. Now we can have a sustained conversation in, in a normal manner.
1: <laughs> if that person in 2014 knew that you were about to go on tour doing comedy in China, he wouldn't what believe would... it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't believe it.
0: I mean, the, the fact that I have a show... So I have a show that's written called Don't Take That Tune With Me. Um, and I've performed that in Shanghai and Beijing. And being on stage for an hour, an hour and a half, I just having fun with the audience and them laughing and them enjoying and and getting them to sing the choruses of the songs and it's if i'd have told that person like this is what you're going to be doing in 2021 after a massive world pandemic he'd be like he'd be like what (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) who who are you and i don't honestly i'm not sure i would recognize myself Recognize the person that I was back then, and he wouldn't recognize me as as the same person now. And so, this is why I'm really looking forward to this this tour. Um, well, mini tour. It's, it's two shows, um, but I'm I'm gonna go down to to Chengdu and and uh, thrust myself upon the audience there. Uh, we're also gonna do Chongqing. Uh, And then we'll come back. But the big tour is what I'm planning on doing next year. Next year, I think I've reached the stage where I have the confidence now to go and do this in Britain.
1: And if you happen to be in Chongqing or Chengdu, Mm -hmm. how how can people get tickets? Um,
0: So we've got show posters that are currently up. It's this wonderful thing about in China. All you have to do is scan the QR, the code QR codes. And there's yeah. the tickets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you try magic getting that to work in Britain.
1: I really appreciate this. I, I really I've been wanting to talk to you for so long and I'm so happy and I'm and now I know exactly why. That was such a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. That was Nick Chung, aka Long Hu. Comedian in Heels, thank you so much for coming on. I should have an episode up this coming week. Um, Thanks for tuning in, and I will talk to you soon.